real hog. <laughs> Well, here we are, man. Five months later, been a little bit of a hiatus. So I want to welcome everybody back to Jackman Radio, and it feels really good to be back. This is awesome, man. It's so good to be back on the mic. Um, Jackman Radio podcast, we took a little bit of a hibernation. We took a little bit of a rest. We had to reassess. We had some corporate realigning going on. You know, when a company says we've done some restructuring, there was a merger and then a demerger, and there was maybe some affidavits, some legal things going on, and the fact that you've been traveling around for the last five months dressed as Donald fucking Trump. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to maybe talk about that, that uh, a little? I or? guess we have to lead off with that, right? Yeah, that's, we need to address the elephant. That's or, or the big Rosie O'Donnell fat, ugly elephant in the room, quite frankly. It is. It's the Trump impression. It's been tremendous. It's taken <coughs> Eric Jackman to places that, quite frankly, he never believed that he would go to. He really did. But yeah, man, um, I guess we last podcasted in February. Well, you weren't there because you were up in Manchester at the Verizon Wireless. That's right. Dressed as Donald Trump. Tell us about that night. Bring us back to that night. Yeah, so that was- Let's the... do a little serial podcast here. Let's serial. do a little, yeah. a little True Detective. Let's retrace the steps. Season two. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about season we'll two talk about True Detective Yeah, we will. How miserable they were. Seriously, Colin Farrell was so miserable in that oh, season. Great, though. I know. The music, too. We'll get to it. But yeah, that was the night before the New Hampshire primary, um, early February of this year, early this year. And uh, Trump was having his big mega rally um, at the Verizon Wireless <clears throat> Arena. And 5,000 people showed up. It was a scene. Everybody who you could think of from the press was there from around the world. And you just knew uh, rolling up to that place that it was, it was going to be some kind of electric energy in the air, you know. And um, so I rolled up with a couple of my, um, my buddies from Pierce who are current Pierce students. One of them I call my chief of staff, Alex Malm, a great guy from Rhode Island, um, that, that bandit state, Rhode Island, disaster of a state, a catastrophe, quite frankly. But um, uh, we rolled up there. It was snowing. And um, I was just dressed as Trump. I had the wig on, the red tie, the blue suit, the whole deal. I put the bronzer on my face and we rolled up and we had to park a little bit, you know, far away because this was a big thing. You know, Secret Service was there and uh, we rolled up to the Verizon. And as soon as the three of us walked up and this, all the people outside saw me, it was instant like pandemonium. I had people running up to me to take pictures. They wanted me to record little videos. They wanted to talk to me. It was just outrageous. And you were wearing thermals, too, underneath, right, because it was cold? Yeah, underneath I had a, um, a, a black thermal that I like to wear, so I, I kept uh, plenty warm. And, you know, just the energy of that kind of thing, you don't even really think about how cold it is and the fact that it's snowing and it's a February night in New Hampshire. This was on the eve of the New Hampshire primary, too, so there's a lot of buzz in the air. There's a, just a feeling that comes every four years that uh, anyone who spent some time in New Hampshire uh, or around primary or caucus politics knows that feeling. And uh, that was, of course, the night that Donald Trump referred to Ted Cruz as a pussy. He did. He, he made. Did. He not only made history in the votes that he that he received. He made history in <laughs> being the first presumptive nominee to call another candidate in his own party a pussy. Oh, just so good. Just so good. When you when you when you couldn't think he could outdo himself, he just five minutes. Wait for him to talk five minutes later. <laughs> you know. And like <laughs> the first camera crew that filmed me was The Daily Show. Trevor Noah. 
the uh, new guy, the host of the Daily Show, had his had his team out there filming, and uh, they ended up using me on uh, that episode of the Daily Show, which was pretty cool. Seeing that, I had people you wouldn't believe the people I had calling. People were saying, "Eric, you're on the Daily Show." I couldn't believe it. So I saw that, and I knew that was the beginning of something really ridiculous and absurd, and uh, that a lot of people had seen it. So basically, the short end, the short version of it is. Um, he had the rally. I got there a couple hours early into the arena, made the rounds as Trump, you know, was basically was described by Bun B and Vice as a crowd favorite, taking selfies with people, being interviewed. And um, so the rally got going and Trump came out and about five minutes into his speech, he spotted me in the back. Oh, and he said, oh, no, look at this guy. Would you take a look at this guy? Oh, no. Tell me, please tell me I do not look like that. Tell me it isn't Trump. And um, he went on like that, and then he called me up to the, get up here. He called me to the front of the stage, and I couldn't get on the stage because there was a big, giant metal barricade with Secret Service, and there was no way from where I was in the crowd. But he called me right to the front. Everyone saw it. They blew the roof off the place. The 5,000 people just losing their mind in pandemonium. And uh, Trump got a really good laugh out of it, obviously seeing uh, what he thought was Chris Christie dressing as him. You know, just this big. <laughs> and that's the common thing that you get from people when commenting on your Trump. Yeah. They, oh, it's more like you look like Chris Christie or. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, it's Chris Farley dressing as Trump. I had one guy there, this like six foot five, hardcore, uh, you know, diehard Trump supporter with tattoos, shaved head, you know, really big, mean, tough dude. I did the impression for him, and he's like, oh, my God, man, that's so funny. You you remind me of uh, Chris Farley, Jack Black, and Jim Carrey getting together and doing a Donald Trump impression. So I really – that was a real compliment to me. That made me feel really good. That means that you've made it right there. It means that you've made it. So that was a lot of fun. It was very disarming. Trump got a good laugh out of it. And then the next couple of days, you know, the, the whole back and forth that me and Trump was on MSN. Uh, Vice covered it. Um, Washington Post. Washington Post. <clears throat> The biggest newspaper in Finland, Helsingin Sanomat, beautiful blonde Finnish lady named Laura came up to me afterwards and asked for an interview, and she was shocked that I knew about people. She, first, she was shocked that somebody at a Trump rally would know Finland's a country, would have ever heard of Isn't Finland. Isn't that a type of vodka? <laughs> Finland <laughs> well, vodka? Trump vodka, Finland vodka. And uh, she was amazed at my knowledge of the Finnish culture and the various last names, and I had to inform her that the part of New Hampshire I was from was one of the largest areas in the whole world of people from Finland of Finnish descent. So right. she interviewed me and that was a cool little piece in uh, the biggest newspaper in Finland. And uh, then uh, the Daily Caller and just a whole bunch of other press. And it was awesome. For the next two weeks, you're just popping up. Yeah. Things would just come cool. out. It was surreal because I've toiled in obscurity uh, with comedy and political impressions pretty much, you know, as long as we've been doing it, like 10 years. Yeah. Longer than that. Oh, yeah. Playing for empty rooms and... And whatnot. All of a sudden, you have this big crowd. So since then, describe. Right. So from that point, uh, I developed a one-man show, which is me dressed as the Donald, uh, playing wherever they're looking for it, comedy clubs, you know. And I got a I got a profile going on this website called Gig Salad, where I'm for hire, and you can check out my videos and the pictures and all that stuff, all the news articles and all that stuff. Oh, and the WAF video we cut I cut with Lyndon Byers. That was really back cool. in March or April. Yeah, March, April, and. Um, so I've been doing my one-man show, which is me as Trump, doing a stand-up routine for 30 to 45 minutes. And uh, been getting good-paying gigs and hired to do things. And uh, it's just been – the reception's been awesome. So working really hard to keep it going. And what do you got coming up? So the convention, the uh, GOP convention. I got uh, two 
passes to go to that, and uh, I'm going to be in the convention hall out in Cleveland dressed as Donald Trump. I'm doing a GoFundMe right now to raise three grand. As of today, we've raised about 307 U.S. dollars, which isn't bad. And, uh, you know, more people are going to be throwing in this week and next week. So I want to have my uh, best friend from college, Jeff, come out there and, and film a documentary and film me as Trump and film the convention and uh, get everybody on film. The protesters, Trump supporters, the media, obviously I'm going to be, I'm going to be there as Trump. I'll get a lot of, uh, there'll be a lot of press. So it's going to be really awesome. People are a little worried for your safety. I'm not necessarily worried for your safety, but I can understand there's going to be a lot of groups out there and there's going to be some deep emotions going on in the street. Oh, yeah. I mean, people are fired up about this thing, dude. I mean, they're talking about thousands of protesters and Secret Service and Homeland Security, and, and just it's going to be madness. But I'm really excited about it. I'm not I'm not scared about any of it, you know. Once people hear the impression and they see what it's all about, um, people really enjoy it. It's very disarming. Yeah, the crowds have been diverse. We've done, you know, big uh, maybe crowds full of Bernie Sanders supporters. We've also done crowds full of Trump supporters. I mean, you were on stage with Howie Carr last month. <laughs> yeah, that was end times, Mike, right? With Howie yeah, Carr. it was like fire and brimstone, you know. Down and, in uh, yeah. Lowell. Yeah, down in Lowell, Mass, at a, at a uh, what was it? A Celebration party at a, for uh, Trump. Yeah, what kind of venue? Was it an, it was an Elks? An Elks Lounge. An Elks yeah. Lodge. It's actually nice Lowell. for an Elks Lodge. It was. It was. I had a great time. And, and that it was, was a great crowd. That was a cool event. But just overall, man, this 2016 election has turned out in a way that uh, I don't think many people could foresee. No. Not even us. I think when Trump first announced he was going to enter, I, I don't know that we were totally convinced he was going to stay in this thing. And it would, you know, like you said earlier today, a year ago, if you told me Chris Christie was going to be on the short list as Trump's VP, I never would have believed it. Right. Chris, who, by the way, we call Crisco Christie because we got to line the doors of Trump Tower with Crisco to get his big fat ass in the jet. But he does a great job, and there's probably room for him in the cabinet. He's just going to lose about another 100, 200 pounds to fit in the cabinet, quite frankly. The photo, the photos and footage of Christie behind Trump, too, at that, like, a, you know, when he had know. that big win, Christie just looks like... I know, he's in he's in Wonderland. <clears throat> he's just like a, a cow in he's headlights. Like, holy shit. Not a deer in headlights, but a cow in headlights. Holy shit, because there was a time in 2012 where Christie was revered as, like, the savior of the Republican Party. Right. He maybe should have ran in 2012. Maybe uh, he yeah. would have done better than Romney. Probably should I just have. love how Trump's kind of been shitting all over Romney oh, <laughs> and all over so the good. whole GOP establishment. I it's mean, so good. whether you're a Trump supporter or not, you got to really appreciate what he, how he kicked the bushes in the balls and what he's been doing shaking up the whole establishment. None of the GOP establishment wants to even be at this convention. Right. He's, he's talking about having, like, Mike Tyson speak. At the, <laughs> it's like, I, li I like Donald Trump because he just, you know, he, he knocks people out when he's doing deals and he kicks them in the head, you know, like I would do. And he just he wants to give me a chance, so I want to speak at his convention. Mike, you're a tremendous competitor. Where would you like to be in my administration, Mike? Where do you want to be? Man, I'll probably, like, you know, be out on the street fighting people, <laughs> doing security. <laughs> I'm not going to let any of those motherfuckers come in the White House lawn. <laughs> Imagine that, man, a night with Donald Trump and Mike Tyson. I'd pay to see that. God, that'd be so good to hang out with those guys. I would pay to see that. You know, I'm, I tried to get Tom Brady to come to the convention, and Tom couldn't do it because it's bad for business. He can't endorse publicly. But he said very nice things about me. He likes me, and he does want to endorse me, but he simply can't because, what is it, Giselle? Is that her name? Giselle. Giselle will be like, uh, no, it's not going to happen. I know. So he won't do it. But this election has been crazy, and I think we can uh, safely say Bernie is uh, Bernie's down for the count. He got basically dicked by the DNC and by the Clinton campaign and marginalized. And, uh, you know, when this thing's all said and done, I think a lot of people are going to be very upset that they uh, – they ultimately didn't support Bernie or that he didn't get it. Well, there's going to be buyer's remorse. I mean, Hillary Clinton is a disaster, you know, as Donald would say. She's terrible. 
And uh, Bernie got screwed, man. I don't agree with everything Bernie says. I like a lot of his platform, and he, he was a pr pretty honest guy, and he did his best. Look, I, 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 look, I have fundamental disagreements with the secretary. We just disagree on a couple things. It doesn't mean that we can't have a discussion about those things. Yeah, I'm sit not down with Henry Kissinger. I will sit down, we'll have a pint of Ben and Jerry's, and we'll go over it. Bernie, you're a disaster. You're disgusting. Let's get somebody to fix that hair. Who did your hair, Bernie? Helen Keller? It's disgusting. So he's... Uh, at this point, he's got to be angling just to even get something at the DNC. Well, maybe he'll he's, let him hand gonna... out. He'll let him validate parking or something <laughs> for the convention. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. You know. Um, no, I think what Bernie's going to do, he's going to leverage the delegates that he has and a little bit of swag that he has to get s some stuff on the platform there. You know, right? Something, something... that's not totally groveling and, and getting on your knees for the military-industrial complex and big pharma and insurance and Wall Street and Wall Street and the banks and uh, the Pentagon and all the people who run and own Hillary. You know? I mean, just this email business—that's just one thread in a long history of corruption and controversies and scandals and things that people should look at when it comes to Hillary Clinton and, and the Clintons as a whole political juggernaut in this country. Well, yeah, absolutely. They want to jump down Trump's throat for, you know, saying a few things about Saddam Hussein, which I actually, you know, I know this sounds terrible and, you know, uh, someone with a political science degree shouldn't say this, but I, I wish Saddam Hussein was still in power in Iraq. Well, the maybe place would be better off. We wouldn't have 4,000 dead American yeah, service Yeah, we wouldn't have wasted over a trillion dollars and 4,000 dead Americans and... A million and dead plus Iraqis Turning probably. it into a friggin' terrorist cesspool that it is over there, you know? It's turned into a shithole. I mean, I don't know. Saddam sucked. He was a bastard. But as Phil Donahue says, he was our bastard. He was Iraq... House Iraq's bastard. Saddam Snow. He was an Iraqi bastard. Like Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this stuff, this, this business with the emails, I mean, uh, a lot of people make a big deal out of it. And I, I think in a lot of ways it's the tip of the iceberg. But yeah. it just shows you, like, what if what if some these whistleblowers like Edward Snowden, John Kiriakou, uh, Sterling, Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning, who were trying to do the right thing to benefit the people and other countries and people who were being disenfranchised um, and corruption and cover-ups, they blow the whistle on on bad stuff that's happening, and some of it is "quote unquote" classified or sensitive, or at the very least confidential, which I think is the lowest form of uh, classification. And look what happens then; they get the book thrown at them. Hillary Clinton comes out; a hundred plus emails have sensitive information in them. Uh, at the very least, even according to the director of the FBI, it's it's reckless, right? And and may have potentially been exposed to foreign agents. What was the, what was nothing the happens. What was the meme, Mike, you were passing around today? <laughs> There's a funny picture of the FBI James director. Comey. Comey. And it, he's, you know, given that press conference that he gave, and it just says, yeah, we have enough to indict her, but I don't want to end up mysteriously dead somewhere. Well, no, it says I could have indicted her, but I wanted to live. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, fishy and, and shit, that, trail a, of bodies, man. It's a joke, but it's not really a joke. It's not really a joke, you know? You know, is Juanita Broderick lying about right. Bill Clinton? Right. Paula Jones, are they all lying? Right. That's part of, part of the bit I do about Bill Clinton. I go, I go, Juanita Broderick, Paula Jones, Monica Lewinsky, Jennifer Flowers with her huge nose. Quite frankly, Bill Clinton is about a hundredth of the way to Bill Cosby territory. He is. He really is. And ladies, be careful because I saw Bill Cosby celebrity bartending. So be very careful. Bye. So th th this is historical in that both of the nominees are so universally disliked. They are. I mean, no pair of nominees have ever been this hated. Right. You know, even Richard ever. even Richard Nixon was like someone you'd want over for dinner before Trump or Hillary, you know? At this point, we'd take him during the resignation because at least it would be fun. <sighs> Uncle Dick did a couple things, you know. But I, I am saying this, and obviously everybody knows I'm a big Gary Johnson fan. Um, you know, we're friends, and I worked for him in 2012. And this has created an unprecedented level of attention 
and media exposure for the Libertarians and Gary Johnson. And, uh, you know, I just remember 2011, early in the New Hampshire primary, when Gary was running, he was like the younger, cooler, uh, you know, more chic version of Ron Paul. And, and, and a lot of people were intrigued. But, uh, you know, he got shut out of the process and CNN wouldn't let him into the debate. They let the friggin' 999 pizza slinging Federal Reserve whore Herman Cain into the debates. Right. And they let that nut job Michelle Bachman into the debates. But they didn't let in Gary Johnson, a former governor, successful two-term governor of New Mexico, onto the stage. And CNN, they shut him out with their bullshit polling criteria. Fast forward four years, CNN has its own libertarian town hall for Gary Johnson and his running mate, former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld. He's not looking so bad after all. Gary he? Jones is not looking so crazy. Latest poll has Gary at thirteen percent. He's he's in the well into the double digits, and the magic number is fifteen, fifteen percent in five national polls, and the commission on presidential debates. That's their criteria. Of course, they'll come up with something to fuck him. I'm gonna say even if he, dude, if even if he hits fifteen in ten polls, right? They're gonna they're gonna move the goalpost, or they're gonna do something to screw him over, and you know. I don't hold any illusions. I mean, the next president is is probably going to be Hillary or, or Trump. It's going to be one of those two. It really is. Gary Johnson doesn't have a chance in hell unless he's on that debate stage. And um, I just I just think it's important for the process and for our republic and for institutions to have a different voice, you know? Absolutely. And uh, we had Gary on the program just over a year ago, I think. Yeah. And he hadn't even announced yet, but... Right. We touched on a lot of those themes, and hopefully we can have him back on the program. Although he said he's not really going to be doing much in New Hampshire, right? What, what is Gary's strategy? Gary's strategy What's last... Because he's not on the debate. He's not on the ballot in all 50 states yet. Not yet. But he he definitely will be by the time it's of the election. It's looking like they're going to hit it on all 50 states. Um, one of them, one or two of them might not be as a libertarian, but could be as a, you know, a write-in or some other kind of affiliate. But um, statistically, he'll be on enough states to qualify for the 270 electoral college votes. That you need to be president. And, you know, part of why I'm, I'm still promoting Gary Johnson and talking about him, you know, is, is to really differentiate the, the Hillary and Trump, you know, because they say, they say a lot of different things. But is there really huge differences between them, you know? I don't, I and, don't know. I and mean, I'd like to hear Trump talk about more substance, have more substance in his, in his speeches and what he's saying. I almost think Gary Johnson could make Donald Trump a better candidate. You know, and infusing some of the libertarian uh, points of view and aspects and, and more, you know, solid policy positions. Because Trump is very vague. He doesn't offer a lot in the way of specifics, you know, whereas a libertarian can say, you know, I want this percentage of the budget cut. We're going to cut this agency, you know, specific agencies and, and specific things that they want to accomplish. Right. And where he stands socially on a lot of issues, because I, honestly, I don't think Trump really gives a shit about a lot of the social issues. No. He's not. No. He's not against gay marriage. He's not in favor of uh, uh, really overturning Roe v. Wade. We're going to punish the doctors. <laughs> no, excuse me. We're going to punish the fetus. No, excuse me. We're going to punish the women. <laughs> I mean, oh, he, God, you know, Donald, got, come on, dude. He got ensnared in that one. And, yeah. and he, he is is more savvy and more capable than I think a lot of people give him credit well, for because exactly. he's not an idiot, all right? He's so not whether you agree with what he says or, or doesn't say, and I, I certainly disagree with a lot of what he's saying, I really don't think to his core he's an ideologue about a lot no. of the stuff. Like when he was in Iowa holding up the Bible, for example, I, I give know, me a Mike. fucking break, dude. I know, Mike. Come on. The, the fact that he even plays second in Iowa. I know. To Canadian Come on, Ted dude. Cruz, Lion Ted. 
who I'm going to deport back to Canada, and he can bring that fat, ugly monster Lena Dunham from that failing show Girls with him. Because I understand there's a lot of dog groomers who need work in Canada, and Lena Dunham will provide a lot of work for him. Believe me, she will. She's very disgusting. But yeah, dude, Trump had no business even being in the top three in Iowa, Mike. He's he's not an evangelical. No, he's, he's not. The dude's probably an atheist. I, I mean, his his god is money. Right, yeah. His, his god his is aphrodisiac, his drug, and his yeah, god. That dude gets his kicks from big, giant piles of fucking cash. You yeah. know, that's what that's what he that's what he's all about. He's good at it. Oh, he's so good. I make great deals. And so when good. Scotland <laughs> seceded with William Wallace and Braveheart, <laughs> that was tremendous. And I think that the that the, the England did a great thing with no, Brexit. Brexit was incredible. They left the civil union, and quite frankly, I thought Brexit was a dick pill before I heard what it was. You can make your schlong or your Trump Tower Jr. yidge and great again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. But, uh, God, the thought of Hillary Clinton looking at that monster for eight years, man, I, I, I will I will gladly take Donald Trump over her any day of the week. She just has an air about her that's just just so incredibly phony and disingenuous. It is. And, it is. And I want Gary Johnson to be in the debates, and he doesn't have a shot in hell unless he's in the debates. So... People keep checking out Gary Johnson. Um, I think it will be a good thing for this election if he's in those debates. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to a little bit more political stuff. But when I want to leave politics and distract myself, I watch a show called Bar Rescue. You ever, you ever watch that show? You ever, you ever see that? Oswald's shaking his head. Oswald is here, by the way, special guest. Hi. Kind of an ad hoc advisory transitional. Uh, we'll try to get him for more. But, you know, I know we did the retirement. We did the Michael Jordan thing at the last one. <laughs> Oswald announced he was going to play for some affiliate team in Birmingham. Um, <laughs> but he is back. There was uh, some good coaxing. And uh, he, he is actually here with us. And it feels really good. But Bar Rescue is one is probably my favorite, you know, trash TV to watch. Oh. John, uh, I can't so say enough good, about Mike. this guy. John Taffer is this this big like I don't I don't know like this big Guido looking dude from you know New York, and he comes in his eyes are bulging out of his head. He's wearing the Goodfellas jacket, and basically what happens is someone from one of these bars call, uh, contacts him because the bar is failing. Um, like I watched an episode recently, the guy, a guy was running a bar and he was a detective in Philly for like 30 years, cashing his pension for a hundred grand and bought a bar down in Philly on one of the busiest streets down there. Great idea. So his daughter, who was actually eight months pregnant at the time, contacted Taffer to come in. He's, he's like the, he's like the savior. I got a call from your daughter. And this is what he talks like. He's, I, I, I'm sure people have seen it, but he's like, I got a call from your daughter. We're very worried. She's eight months pregnant. She doesn't know she's going to feed the baby once it gets here. <laughs> You covered our ass for 27 years when you were a detective, but now you're filling your own bar. What the fuck is wrong with you? And dude, he just he just goes in there and he screams right in the. He's like, I will fire you right now in front of your staff unless you get serious. If I catch you with one drink in your hand, I'm shutting it down. And, dude, he you gets like so well. Oh, uh, he gets all high, like high pitch, and his eyes bulge out of his head. He looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, that's what Auntie. Annie that's said. what Aunt, my Auntie yeah. Annie called him, and that was an aptly. Aptly, well, like every, his neck and his jaws all blended into one shape. Yeah, it's, it's like, like one it, contour. There's no it's distinction weird. between where chin and neck end or meet. It looks like a SpongeBob SquarePants fish character. And he, he's Look, bald. His dad would say the dude's basically bald. No, the guy's it, bald. It looks like someone took a, a super soaker and squirted his head with Clorox bleach. You oh, know? And then dumped a little bit of like Sulfuric black acid. Jimmy's on it or something. Yeah, put Jimmy's on it. He's great though. No, Mike. He, he goes deeper than just why the bar is failing. You got shit dough. You know how to you don't know how to mix drinks. It's sugary. You're serving a diabetic mess. And the foundations are cracked. But it's not just that. You're drinking at your own bar. I've never met anybody who drinks at their own bar that's successful. You got thirty-eight thousand dollars a weekend running through this place and none of them are coming to your bar why is that 
dude. He just delivers hard truths. And I, you I, do that so good. I, I freaking love it, man. It's been, you know, it's been my, well, that's, kind that's of been our, my obsession lately. That's our jam, though, Mike, on Sundays. You know, we, we do our freaking 40-hour grind during the week. And then, you know, if we're not working that Saturday, we have our weekend. And then our Sunday is kind of our tradition with the old man. And we go over to Tony's and we fucking do a bar rescue. We get like three marathon. hours. We get, you know, really good food and bar. We to- get three hours. Tony goes, what do you think, man? Taffer? Some taffer. We're gonna watch some taffer. Some bar rest. It, it's. I can't. You just have to watch it. And I, you know, I know this sounds late to the party because the show has been on for like I don't know five, four or five. He's years. the sensation, though, Mike. He is the sensation. And now, what are his success rates? You have the numbers, right? Taffer's success rate is at about seventy to seventy-five percent of bars that he's flipped are still going or in business or have kept the changes that he implemented. And he he goes deep. He fixes people's addiction and alcoholism, their failing marriages, failing marriages, their relationships with their family children. and their friends. Yeah, you got all your friends drinking in your bar and they're drinking all the profits. Out here, I don't see a storage unit out here. I see a beer garden. <laughs> he, can, he can get nice. Yeah. He, he does. He gets nice. Dude, when he's talking about the dimly lit parking lot. At the bottom of this place, it looks like it looks like the lounge for the Bates Motel. What girl is going to want to come here when she thinks Jack the fucking Ripper's around the corner serving the drinks? <laughs> God, it's so good. It's too good. It's too I good. I love him. I love John Taff. Everybody check out Bar Rescue. Free plug for Spike TV. Absolutely. Just, I, I, Trump should put him on the ticket. Well, they're, they're, aren't they friends? Didn't, I don't embrace excuses. I embrace solutions. Didn't they? Didn't he endorse Mike? I have to believe he endorsed Trump. John Taffer endorsed me, and he's going to be speaking prime time in the convention, and it's going to be incredible. We're going to do a nation rescue, quite oh, frankly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to do a Clinton rescue. He's going to flip the Clintons. Imagine John Taffer naked, though, like what that looks like. Oh, can you rescue that? Cellulite <laughs> rescue? I don't know, man. That's a, that's a tough one, man. I, he comes from a place of love, though, ultimately. I really think that. Yeah, I mean, and he's made tons of money. He doesn't have to do this anymore. He's still hungry, though, Mike. Like, when he comes, when he, they do recon, he's in the SUV. They have, like, infrared and shit. Oh, yeah. No, he's there three days ahead of time just hanging out doing recon. It, it's the best. It really is. And uh, it's funny. I, I watched an interview with him, and one of the first bars, I think the first bar he ever ran was the Troubadour, the famous Troubadour out, out in L.A., and they had, you know, everybody there. And he said when he went in there, uh, the kitchen in the back was just completely flooded. Like, just the whole thing was flooded. So they, and he would have filled his own bar, you know, if he was going back in time. They put wooden crates on the floor for the kitchen staff to walk around. I wouldn't even have let my own bar pass back then, but I've learned a lot. <laughs> I know enough to know that you suck. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't hold back. Alabama puke sandwich. People are coming in here. They're buying baskets of fried food. They're paying for the nostalgia. You have a college town. You have 70,000 drunk assholes coming through here looking to spend money at your bar. <laughs> it's, it never gets old, but we're, we're going we're gonna to oh, shelf that for now. And God, that's so good. So I, I just finished reading this book by former Secret Service, Secret Service agent Clint Hill. And yeah. you know us. We, all, we talk about the Kennedy assassination whenever we can pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, the harvest is shaking his head. Clint Hill was the Secret Service agent who is seen in the Sapruder film running on the back of the Lincoln limo just after Kennedy is shot, trying to push Jackie Kennedy uh, back in the car and make sure she doesn't fall out of the car. She, what happened was, after Kennedy was uh, the fatal headshot, which uh, we all know came from the front right, not the back from Lee Harvey Oswald, that's a lie, um, she reacted and jumped on the back, uh, you know, on the seats, and then went to basically scoop the remaining. <laughs> she's laughing. Oswald, the laughing. remaining brain matter, and she was, you know, I mean, it's fight or flight. Who knows? But 
Clint Hill was was part of Jackie Kennedy's Secret Service detail. Right. So he he reacted and he, he did his job. He did his job and he did a great job. Do John Taffer doing a review of Secret Service breakdown protocol in the Kennedy assassination. I think what happened is you have people in Fort Worth, Texas from the Secret Service drinking the night before when they should be in bed by 10 o'clock. They're out till 5 in the morning drinking whiskey, doing who knows what with horse at Jack Ruby's Carousel Club and Kennedy gets his head blown off. That is a failing business. <laughs> Yelp wouldn't even give that zero stars. So, so Clinton Hill, uh, <coughs> sorry, is in the Sapruder film. Oh, it's too good. And um, was in Clinton Hill. Let me go back a little bit. He joined the Secret Service when President uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower was in office, and he was on Eisenhower's detail as a young man. I think in his twenties, probably mid to late twenties. This is in the late fifties. When was Clinton Hill born? Thirty-seven. Uh, Thirty-two. Nineteen. Oh, okay. He 32. was born in thirty-two, so he's eighty-four now. And he's still alive. And he has this book called Five Presidents. And it details his time with um, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, and Gerald Ford. Wow. And he's got some great stories in there, man. Um, he, ha he has written a book about the experience in Texas with the Kennedy assassination. And I haven't read that one. That's a separate book. But just some of the stories, like when, John when Eisenhower was in office, one of his jobs was protecting... Eisenhower's mother-in-law. He had to go hang out at Eisenhower's mother-in-law's house. That's kind of psych. Yeah, it's pretty psych. She must have been old. Yeah, she was old. And um, the maid in the house who would sleep over, or, no, the nurse. She was like a nurse slash maid, you know, the help. She was a tender. Who took care of um, Eisenhower's either mother or mother-in-law. I want to say mother-in-law. The maid passed away during the night. She just died like of a heart attack or whatever. And they didn't want to alert, you know, Eisenhower's mother-in-law. And freak her out. So Clint Hill, one of his first, the first things that Clint Hill had to do was get the body out of the house <laughs> without alerting anyone else in the Secret Service or anyone from the press. And including Eisenhower's mother-in-law, Eisenhower, right? Yeah, and Eisenhower's mother-in-law. The old battle axe would probably freak she out. She may have died of a heart attack. Who knows? So, <laughs> so he talks about that story, and that's really surreal. He talks about traveling all over the world with Eisenhower and just the freaking crowds. Like, Eisenhower was really hailed as a hero all over the world. He was popular. You know, after World War II, right. you know, General Eisenhower. And uh, some of the crowds, four or 500,000 people. Wow. And almost as big as my rallies. Almost as big as Trump rallies. Yeah. And, and, and Clint Hill talks about how, really, if anybody wanted to, they could have just taken a shot and got him because. Right. The what do you do with a freaking sea of 400,000 people? I mean, they were just, yeah, they were like suffocating the, the, the motorcades, and it would take them, you know, an hour just to drive what would take normally. I don't know, five or ten minutes. So, right. You know, Clinton Hill was uh, front had a front row seat to some really historical stuff from the fifties to the seventies, including the Kennedy assassination, uh, the Civil Rights Act when Johnson was in there, um, Richard Nixon in the Vietnam War. Nixon, Spiro, first of all, Spiro Agnew's resignation as vice president when Gerald Ford was elevated to vice president. Then Nixon's resignation in seventy four. Right, Watergate, that well, whole thing. He had a front row seat to Watergate. And um, and then when Ford got in there, those were that was kind of yeah that was kind of that was the end. Didn't he claim Ford was the nicest or most normal president he that Ford, he served under? Ford was the most down. Every president he obviously had an ego, and every everyone oh, you have to have an ego God, to be president. Just even think you can run for president. And he said that Ford was the most down to earth and regular everyman who was in Congress for many years and just kind of laid back, made his own breakfast in the morning and lived in the same house, you know, which they had to outfit for the Secret Service. So there's a lot of really cool stories in there. And if anyone's interested in, uh, you know, that time of American history, it's certainly worth checking out. Um, I don't want to say he glossed over 
some things, but there were definitely some omissions. Did he mention Abe Bolden at all, the former Secret Service agent? You, you and I interviewed last year the first black man to protect the president in the Secret Service. He didn't mention him at all. He didn't mention His name him. was not mentioned at all. And Abraham Bolden came in when Eisenhower was president in right. 1960, the same time that Clint Hill was in Into there. the Secret Service, Into but the, the presidential protection was under Kennedy. Yeah, 61 when Kennedy right. got in there. But Bolden was in the Secret Service when Clint Hill was there with Eisenhower. He was. He was, and he, he's not mentioned at and all. And that was a small group of guys really back then. Oh, I mean, yeah. you can't it, imagine there's tons at that point. Yeah, throughout the book, Clint Hill really details these guys are basically working 24-7 and 12-hour shifts. So seeing their families and being able to go home and have holidays is basically non-existent. Now, he talks about spending like three Christmas Eves in a row at the Lyndon Johnson Ranch down in Texas. Oh, that sounds terrible. And that, <laughs> that whole scene, terrible. Like, Lyndon Johnson bought him like, like uh, you know, Texas-style clothing and made him model it and stuff and embarrassed really? him in front of everyone. Jesus. <laughs> and, you know, Johnson would take off in his own car right. after having a couple of stiff drinks, did, you know, did without did, trying to evade the Secret Service. Did Clint Hill talk at all about uh, the modern-day scandals with the prostitutes down in Latin America and, and just the, 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 the fuck-ups that are Secret Services, <laughs> the fuckery that's going on in the last, you know, 10 years? He didn't mention years. a word of it. Yeah. He didn't mention a word of it. He's he's an old school kind of guy, man. Right. He really he really strikes me as a dedicated, patriotic, straight up kind of Nothing doing. about Kennedy's mistresses. Nothing about uh not specifically. Even not, Abraham not like Bolden, Bolden, yeah, told Bolden us. was like we were on a boat and there were some very good looking young ladies who were not the president's wife. Or the young the young good looking ladies who came into the swimming pool. <sighs> Kennedy I like to have my uh uh stroke, backstroke yeah. in the swimming pool every day. Various strokes in the pool. Yeah, he he didn't touch on that. <laughs> But I, I, you do get the feeling that his least favorite was definitely Nixon. Yeah. And Nixon and his people were shady. Yeah. You know, the whole Watergate thing, man. I mean, that's... Can you talk about we that? We could do a whole episode on that. Yeah. Basically, yeah, that, that Nixon refused to give up the the transcripts of the recordings and all the recordings that they had set up in the White House. Yeah. So there's a whole story there. No, we should do a whole bit about Watergate and uh, about the uh, uh, notion that uh, Nixon was set up. Right, or he it was involved in the cover-up after the fact, but not necessarily the crime. plotting with G. Gordon Liddy and E. Howard Hunt and the actual plumbers breaking right, and in. Right, Coulson. And, and who was really behind that. Maybe, right. You know, it's, Poppy. It, Poppy Bush. There's a lot of duplicity, and it all leads back to someone with the last name Bush. Terrible. But I thank Tom <laughs> Ricky Gray for buying that book for me and getting it autographed by I know, Clint yeah, Hill. he went down there to the talk. He's down there in Texas, and he went to the depository. And Yeah, our friend Ricky, uh, who lives in outside of Dallas, went to the Sixth Floor Museum and saw Clint Hill speak and got the book for me and got an autograph. So awesome. I really appreciate that. And uh, that's that's a piece of American history right there. And Clint Hill also talks about back then they didn't call it PTSD, but he definitely had PTSD yeah. stemming from, you know, the Kennedy assassination and what he witnessed. And he never he only spoke about it once. Um, in a like an eleven year period, uh, no twelve publicly, right? Twelve no twelve year period. He only spoke about it once to anyone, and that was when he testified at the Warren Commission. The next time he talked to anyone about it was to Mike Wallace during a sixty minute interview that he did, which I just watched the other day, which is really tough to watch because you just the camera zooms in on Clint Hill and he's just like, oh, it's gut wrenching. He's just tears are welling up, and it's you could see the just the the pain that it caused him, and it's just horrible. So. I definitely want to check out his other books, and I recommend that to uh, anyone who would be interested. Absolutely. So, Jay Leno's like, what else? Oh, what else is going on? Obviously, we just, <laughs> we're a little late to the game on this, but we watched True Detective Season 2. There's a lot of haters for True so Detective good. Season 2. Yeah, I, I love them. I liked it too. I thought it was great. It was great. How miserable everybody Everyone's was. Everyone's so freaking, like Vince Vaughn, dude. Like, <sighs> just, like, the shit that he says. 
I don't even know what he's talking about half the time. I don't even, oh, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Look, these people, right? Okay, I don't do a good uh, Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, you tried. You gave it a shot. <laughs> you, you try to you try to kind of look sweaty and talk fast and kind of make eye contact and do like weird things. We talk. Are we doing this right now? We're going to do this right now. We're doing this. Yeah, yeah, mm. kind of like that. I'll work. I will work on that one. Basically, he hasn't been hungry since old school Mike, but he showed some fight. In True Detective oh, Season He two. showed a lot of fight in True Detective Season 2, and it reminded me of his portrayal as Norman Bates in the basically shot-for-shot mm-hmm. shot 1998 Psycho remake yeah. by Gus Van Sant. Really? Never watched it. Never watched it. He holds his own. I think I watched the Spice Girls movie instead of that. <laughs> Spice World. Oh, God. Yeah, I'll show but you Spice. True Detective Season 2 also, in my opinion, featured an awesome soundtrack. Yeah. Lara Lynn played this guitarist who's in the seedy bar where the scenes take place between Colin Farrell who plays a detective naturally and Vince Vaughn who's a uh, I guess gangster a wise guy a wise guy trying to go legit and just the scenes of them at the bar together just drinking with the music playing in the background and maybe if we can tonight we'll close the show with uh, that track uh, my least favorite life and I I like the commentary on the um, elite deviance of the ruling political class out there in in California they were talking about kind of an under theme of the whole season was about this corridor that was going to go up and down the state and the corruption involved in getting a contract on that and getting a piece of that and making money off of it deals with the mayor the police are involved uh, the police you know city hall city council everybody and then they had this little bit about um the like the masks wearing like the fucking New World Order horse mask. There's a little bit of eyes wide shut. Little type eyes stuff wide shut Bohemian Grove stuff going on, which I really liked. It was I, alluded to a little bit. I like that, and they also showed a picture of President George W. Bush with the mayor. You know, saying they're buddies. You know, and what kind of fucking shenanigans are they connected in? You know, if you get a picture with W. Bush on your mantle. There's blood on your hands. That's some Voldemort type shit. That's right some there. Voldemort. That's some dark shit. And then if you have a picture with Dick Cheney, you know, that's that's uh, 55 points for Slytherin right there. It's, you know? it's even darker. Even darker. That's really dark. But yeah, dude, I'm glad you you uh, you know brought uh, season two into the house. And, and then I have to say, I'm, I'm, Mike finally got me into Walking Dead. I mean, I finally Coral. did it. Is that what you think? Is that what you think this is? Look, look, Rick, man, I kept Lori safe. I kept Carl safe. I did that, man. You can't survive in this world. I did that. Lori's my wife. No, no, that's Cool's my son. Carl. Cool. There, there's a clip on YouTube where if you just type in Rick Grimes, Carl, it's literally just like four minutes, minutes. every single time he said Carl in the entire uh, six uh, seasons but, thus far. Uh, I put it off, man. I, I, I always said, He was Mike, a hater. I said, Mike, it's stupid. You're going to take your Sunday night and go over to a friend's house and watch that bullshit, that nonsense. It's so tired. It's a bunch of... He makes a good point. A bunch of fucking zombies chasing around a fucking British dude whose real name is Andrew Clutterbuck. His name's not Andrew Lincoln. Carl. He's not fucking Rick Grimes with the 38 special, you know, and, and Glaggy and Glenn. She's British too. Glaggy. Yeah, all the best actors are British. We've like, all done thanks. The worst kind of thanks. At Thanksgiving, we like stuffing. <laughs> and thanks. And of course, the governor was British. We got all kinds of good stuff here in Woodbury. Food. Walls to keep away from the biters. Water. Shelter. Ammo. If you don't like it, you can even take a car with supplies. Gas. Medicine. Stay a couple nights. See how you feel. So but you, uh, thank you, you Mike. For, you see it though. Thank you, Mike, for turning me on to Walking Dead. I now cannot live without Rick Grimes. I can't imagine a world without Rick Grimes. And um, you know, I uh, have to f- finish season five because, much to my um, 
dismay and, and melancholy and infinite sadness. Um, I got, I rented it from Franklin Pierce Library thinking I had the complete fifth season and I don't. There's only like two out of four discs. That's not good. So, not, not only that, you still got to watch season six. Anyone who's listening to this nonsense, if you have season five on DVD, uh, shoot me an inbox on Farcebook and then I'll have to figure out a way to get season six. And that will be coming back in October for season seven. Big things planned, so no spoilers. Stupid uh, bitch, probably ran off, get bit by a walker. <laughs> Is that your Daryl? Yeah. Stupid bitch. Stupid that, bitch. That's Daryl season two. He's a, he's a little softer now. Why do you think they're little brother? <laughs> but they're with these old people right here, little brother. I'll cut my arm off. I love you, little brother. <laughs> that's his Merle is Michael Rucker. Yeah, Merle. That's, that's really good, man. Yeah, little brother. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be in the prison now with Rick? Oh, it's so good. That's a, that's a good Merle. And I love some of the people who turn up in Walking Dead who were on the show The Wire. I think that's fucking incredible. They lived through, even fucking Omar, who died in The Wire, came back. No, Omar, not, not Omar. Um, no, Stookie. Stookie. Bob Stookie. Bob Stookie. Who's, Lawrence Gilliard uh, Jr. Lawrence Gilliard Jr., right, who was in uh, The Wire, who was one of my favorite characters. Was he a prison snitch who died in season two? Uh, yeah, he, he made it into prison, and then it was kind of like a Vito Corleone or a Michael Corleone got snuffed out by someone he was close to in prison because oh, he was a liability. But uh, he turns up, and then uh, uh, that other big black dude, Tyrese, Tyrese, Chad Coleman. Oh, he's so good with his hat, dude. He's he played fucking, Cuddy in The Wire. Yeah, he commits to that that hat, dude. Dude, it's fucking hot in Georgia. Yeah, they're down in Georgia. Why is he wearing that? I've always wondered that. Yeah, he's like, girl, I forgive you. Yeah, but I won't forget. <sighs> so good. Yeah, his he had a great. And then of course, uh, Father Gabriel Stokes, played by Seth Gilliam, yep. who was in The Wire, who played ran, a cop. Yeah, he ran um, Amsterdam. Right, the free the the, the the drug zone place. Right, so they got great actors in the Walking Dead. It's great. Dead. It's great. Um, they, and they've they've cast a heavyweight for season seven, who was in one episode of season six, which, uh, in my opinion, is great casting. But we won't talk too much about that. So, we will revisit that at a later date. Uh, getting back to world affairs, though, I mean this this is not surprising, but it's uh, it's, uh, it's still enraging. The Chilcot Inquiry. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's a British. That's a British politician. Clutterbuck. Chilcott. Yeah, he's he's uh, Andrew Lincoln's cousin. Is that what you think? You think that the Brits lied about Iraq? <laughs> they went to Iraq to get the walkers and there were no walkers of mass destruction? Is that what you think? <laughs> but basically, uh, in the last day, Sir John Chilcott published the report. And this is seven years after this thing was even announced. So who's, who was in charge then? Cameron or um, it was after Blair? Gordon... Brown. Brown. Gordon yeah, Brown. Brown nose. He looked like a horse, that dude. Uh, ugly fucking dude. So basically the report states that Saddam Hussein did not pose an urgent threat to any British interests. I told you. And that the intelligent, <laughs> intelligence regarding, uh, regarding weapons of mass destruction uh, was basically oversold and presented with too much certainty and that peaceful alternatives to the war had not been exhausted. They had not gone through all diplomatic channels um, and the United Kingdom and the United States had undermined the authority of the UN Security Council um, that was still in the process of looking at the legal basis, you know, doing the weapons inspections and just making sure that uh, all the stuff th that they were saying was true and that the march to war in 2003 was unnecessary. No way. I thought it was totally warranted. You know? got yellow cake. I mean, dude, you got Tony Blair meeting with George W. Bush three months after 9-11. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, George, we should, uh, we should really talk about Iraq again because, you know, Iraq is, 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 uh, was responsible for 9-11 ultimately. Uh, if what, I, what would Bush say? I'd just say, uh, yeah, I mean, Sagara tried to kill my dad. <laughs> we know they got weapons. Disarm 
or face disarmament. <laughs> so Jesus. I remember that. I mean, you know, no, that's high school, dude, for us. We were in is. high school, and uh, I, it's unfortunate that the Iraq War is, is is looked at as this distant thing in the past. But a lot of our generation uh, went over there, fought and died, or came back with psychological injuries or physical injuries with missing limbs and it really does it really does break my heart you know as and it's uh it's just too bad well, it's a they, they, they cooked this fucking war up and they lied about it and just, there's no justice i mean there's no. nothing has ever been done you know no. about that resource grab you know power consolidation further balkanization of the middle east and then from that man all the fucking splinters man syria you know um you know we're always at the door of iran we're always knocking at their door yeah. Libya, you know, well, I think Yemen. You don't have something like ISIS without what happened. No, in Iraq. ISIS. I mean, is, that's it, our it, fucking Frankenstein, dude. You know what you happened know? to all those those uh, factions afterwards? After we went in there and dismantled the place. After we did Paul Bremer's D bath. Yeah. You know Paul Bremer, that fucking guy. So the ramifications of that are still being felt 13 years later, and uh, these government inquiries. It takes years for them to come out. Oh, it's, it's so it's, laughable, man. It's sickening, you know. It's laughable. It is. It just reaffirms what everyone knew, and you know, Bush and Blair did meet together, and one of the ideas that was floated was maybe painting a UN plane, painting a plane, you know, UN colors, to have Saddam shoot it down, like a drone, to like goad, a drone, yeah, plane? to goad Saddam into shooting down what. They would want people to believe it was a UN plane. That's an homage to Operation Northwoods. Yeah, it kind of is. That's straight out of the book of Northwoods. If anyone wants to look at the, the timeline into the Iraq War, and even before that, the timeline into the events of, of September the 11th, I would check out historycommons.org. I mean, that really lays out with mainstream news articles and interviews and quotations and, uh, you know, items from various reports. Like, it just, History Commons is bar none, and uh, it's a great resource great non-political type resource to look at that just lays out the facts and uh yeah and, that, what and that's happened. uh like we said earlier you know donald's going on about trump or about uh saddam he'd be better off if he was in power what's missing from that is that fucking hillary voted and was a cheerleader for that stupid war right she was a she was one of the fucking 2002 iraq war one resolution of, one vote. of the blowhards who got it going you know and laid down for the bush administration right but she's great on foreign policy she's incredible she's we tough came, she's... we saw he died yeah talking about Gaddafi. yeah <laughs> god hillary i, I think the enemies if, if they we just got a loudspeaker we recorded her cackle yeah. we'd be able to win wars yeah oh yeah please don't do anybody want anybody hillary cackle please no more hillary cackle blood don't do it don't even make no more hillary cackle and no more hillary cankle excuse me yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> you were mentioning earlier too, uh, you know. Speaking of Iraq War, uh, Kurt Cobain's daughter, um, <laughs> right? She, uh, what was going on with her? Oh, Frances Bean. Yeah, yeah, she, Bean. She, she's. Uh, I caught. I don't know. I didn't read too much about it. I hear about it. I heard on the radio earlier. Sound like a typical American voter. I heard on the radio um, that uh, she's in the middle of a divorce. I'm sure with some amazing stand-up, staggering intellectual person. Um, and mired right now in that divorce, uh, that fight is a guitar belonging belonging to her father, Kurt Cobain. So I don't I don't know. Anything. He's claiming he this guy. You know this guy looks like Kurt Cobain, which is interesting. Oh, you know a little the, bit about him. I've seen pictures of him, and I think he's he's really trying to get some. Is if the guy wants the money from the girl, is that called palimony? I don't know. Is that what? Am I making that up, or did I hear that correctly? <laughs> like when you, when you get divorced. You're going to start talking like a Jewish attorney. When you get divorced and the guy wants the uh, wants the money, it's called palimony. And we get, we'll get it for you. Yeah. I don't know. Because when it happens to the guy, it's not called alimony. It's called all my money. 
quite frankly, it is. Remember, But, that Donald, prenup. you keep yourself safe by doing what? I do. I do. Look, I love you. You're pretty. You're gorgeous. You're talented. You're beautiful. You're smart. But sign the prenup. Sign the prenup. And I told Paul McCartney before he married Pegleg, before he married that Pegleg monster, she's beautiful. She's incredible. You got to sign the prenup, Sir Paul. You got to watch your ass. You got to watch out for Hey Jude and Let It Be and When I'm 64. Those are great songs. And if you're not careful, they're going to end up in Pegleg's belongings. And she's going to own them. And she did. She made a killing. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Heather Mills had said she never even heard any of Paul's music. Like, she didn't even know the song Lady Madonna. <laughs> Who doesn't know Lady Madonna, Oswald? That honestly. was part of her fucking scam, dude. Paul was a mark, dude. You know? So, yeah, that's, uh, maybe this guy will end up with uh, Kurt Cobain's guitar. Maybe he'll get the rest of his fucking stash that he OD'd on. Well, Jesus, that's too dark. soon. I mean, that was, was that was that twenty. How many years ago was that, Oswald? Is that twenty years? Twenty two years ago. Yeah, I remember when it happened. Yeah, and they just released a couple of photos from the crime scene, and they got. There's two documentaries out. Uh, I saw one of them. Uh, I think it's called Soaked in Bleach, which is about the investigator. It's on Netflix, about the investigator who was hired by Courtney Love to find Kurt Cobain in the days before he died. I feel like it's something Trump would look at. You wouldn't believe what my people dug up about Kurt Cobain's <laughs> final hours. The stuff that Courtney Love was saying, you wouldn't believe. You know, Trump would weigh in on that. Yeah, man. He and he'd would. go he'd up know. ten points in the polls. <laughs> well, I got Foo Fighters fans voting for me now. You know, <laughs> not Dave Grohl, but Pat Smear. Pat Smear, who does a great job, by the way. Oh God! So we just watched a couple of good movies over the weekend, over the holiday weekend. We watched Deadpool. Oh yeah! Finally watched Deadpool, and it's—I gotta say, man—probably the best superhero films, in my opinion, since Dark Knight Rises. I was charmed. I was charmed. Very self-aware. Very violent. Yeah. That's an R-rated superhero yeah, flick right there. Yeah, about time. Man. Jesus, a, a fucking... Right, a superhero movie that's got some big hanging balls underneath it. I liked it. Ryan Reynolds was pretty good. He was. He was pretty good. His, was, he looked like a shrivel-up testicle. Oh, his face? Yeah, the way he kind of like talks. It know? looked like an avocado. What is it? Made love to an older avocado or something, whatever the line <laughs> yeah, is. Something. But, oh, that horse chops dude behind the bar. Oh, man, like, yeah, that's, like, not cool, you know? Yeah, they, I don't know. He's all right. He's all right. They threw him in there. Yeah, they threw him a bone. My you know? favorite part was that Ryan Reynolds paid, like, 40 grand to have an image of B. Arthur on a T-shirt at the beginning of the movie. Nice. <laughs> I thought that was a nice ode to... Uh, homage to Airheads. Yeah, I saw a great meme of the Golden Girls. Betty White's still alive. She's a Jedi. The other ones are Force Ghosts in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Betty White's the greatest. That was a great meme. I love Betty White. We watched uh, uh, Deadpool, and we also watched uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Which was tremendous. Great movie. It's an Irish-Canadian-English Yeah, about immigration legal. They came, the Irish who came here legally. Legal immigration. Those whiskey-drinking, potato-eating, wife-beating Catholic motherfuckers. Tremendous stuff. Tremendous. That was a good flick, though. The acting was very good, and uh, I'm not going to even try to pronounce the... Uh, Beautiful, beautiful Irish girl. The lead. I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce. Yeah, I don't know. It's nice. <laughs> you can just go on Wikipedia. They'll check up the uh, you know the phonetic pronunciation. And check out Brooklyn. But I was charmed by Brooklyn, Mike. Well, it was it? nice to watch a movie where there wasn't you know fucking Walkers and Rick Grimes blowing people's heads off, and uh, violence and and terrorism and you know. It was our two hour weekly break from Donald Trump, is what it was. Yeah, it was because we are addicted to him. I mean, there's no oh, he's there can so be no denying how strong uh, he is. Oh well, yeah, as uh, as I said, his his allure is simply intolerable. We spent probably 32 minutes of this podcast just talking about him. Well, we had so. to. We had to clear the air a little bit, you know? <laughs> so those were good. And, and this weekend, I'm hoping to go see The Purge election year. Oh, I can't wait to see that, man. We should take Dad. Uh, our dad's birthday is on Sunday. Our old man's turning 61. Happy birthday, Dad. Born uh, July 10th, 1955, St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. Came here when he was 10 years old in 65. Legally. Came here legally, by the way. John Jackman, my grandfather, 
moved out here with my grandmother, Teresa, and their eight children, and they did it legally. So, yeah, that, that'll be fun. The, that, that's, you know, The Purge is, it's got a little bit of sci-fi political implications, which I really like. Uh, the first one kind of touched on a little bit. It was a little bit of the haves versus the have-nots. Like, Ethan Hawke is, yeah, you know, he's the, the nice dude, neighborhood. he's the dude who makes the security systems. Right. You know, ironically, his house gets broken into. Oh, so There's good. There's his neighbors who fucking hate him, and they want to kill him. Right, right. It's, it's great. Oh, it's, it's awesome. It's I, great. I love The Purge. The second one takes it even further. Oh, the justice. They have this one character that's just clearly, like, oh. like blatantly, like, that's Hillary. That's right. <laughs> Dude, she looks like her. She acts like her. She's dressed like her. It's just blatant. You can't kill me. Yeah, that's just great. And then what happens? Mike? I, I think someone just unloads. Fucking <laughs> just blows her away. Frank Grillo's just running around, you know. And then the new one, uh, the previews make it look like there's a senator who's trying to eliminate the purge. And she's a nominee for president she's, against the sitting president. Yeah, against the, the new founding fathers. Is is the the new founding fathers? Nice. Uh, they're probably Trump supporters. And, well, uh, Trump, Mike Ditka, Tom Brady, Gronk, and Bob Kraft, the new founding fathers. They do a great job, and uh, it looks good. It looks good. So I, we will be checking that out this weekend. We'll we'll bring you a review of that if we can. Yeah, maybe we'll do that get, with a little SNS feast. Yeah, so we've talked about SNS in the past. The best seafood. Yeah, in the whole Fitchburg. area. Yeah. So what else is going on? Oh, uh, we, um, my band Northern Stone is doing a big show. Oh, hell yeah. Next month, the um, Jaffrey Fireworks, the Madnock Fireworks, will be coming home to Jaffrey after a three-year hiatus. Some asshole calling a bomb scare. You yeah. Know? It was a uh, fucking loser. Precursor to ISIS. Yeah, it was. New Hampshire ISIS. Yeah, New Hampshire's is... Nicest. Nicest. New Hampshire ISIS. <laughs> neg shit, New Hampshire exit, neg shit, nicest. And uh, that'll be a lot of fun. That's going to be on August 20th. And we will be going on earlier in the day, I think around 3 or 4 o'clock. Nice. So it's going to be a big gig. How many gig. people are you guys expecting? Uh, there's going to be many thousands. I hope. 10 uh, plus? I hope, yeah, north of 10,000. When we played at the Cheshire Fairgrounds in Swansea a couple years ago, there was about 10,000. So this time around, hopefully, we'll be up back to historical numbers like uh, 25, 30,000. Yeah. So it's good exposure, and we're looking forward to it. Awesome. Tremendous. What else? That's all I got. Did we blow through it, Taffer? You did your podcast in under an hour, and you did a great job. You'd think after five months you'd have more than the bullshit that you slung tonight to say to the audience. Ah, oh, it's just so good. Yeah, no, it's great to be back on the mic, and uh, we really appreciate everybody uh, staying interested in what the Jackman Brothers are doing. We had the... Uh, Awesome VFW show a couple weeks ago, um, the Trump comedy show that featured some amazing New Hampshire comics. Uh, great talent, local talent. Wade the Great from Keene, Naomi Stone from Keene, a good friend of ours, someone I went to Franklin Pierce with, and uh, Mike Holmes from, where is he from, Winchester? Win yeah, he's from Winchester. And then the famous Greg Bogus, who's uh, from Milford. From Milford, he's a New Hampshire comedy legend. We should have him on the show sometime. And, uh, we should have some comics. We're definitely going to have Greg on. We've already talked about that. And uh, Greg, if you're listening, we will definitely have you on. But uh, it's been great to get to know Greg. Uh, he's a you know he's a comic legend. Yeah, we've and, kind of been getting back into the stand-up thing since we've been absent from the podcast. Yeah, we haven't good. really. Uh, we had an open mic we did about three and a half years ago, and then we shut that down and shut it down. We did comedy last year. We opened up for Lenny Clark. Yeah, it was kind was of a awesome. one-off, which was incredible. And then we've, we've actually been, since Eric, since you've been doing this Trump thing, man, we've been getting back out into the comedy scene, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has been. Some, some events are better than others. We That's played true. to an empty room. Well, not an empty room, but a room full of drunk, stupid assholes last week. And 
you know, I guess that's what an open mic is, you know. A bunch yeah. of drunk, stupid assholes. Stu- unfunny. Who you think they're exp- funny? You got to explain the jokes to them. <sighs> I was like, okay, here's a joke you guys might understand. Do you watch The Walking Dead? And yeah. we went from there. Or Jon Snow working at a Burger King, Mike? Hello. Welcome to Burger King. May I take your order? Uh, we don't have McFlurries, but what we do have are snowdrifts 100 feet tall and white walkers who tear you from limb to limb. A thousand year winters, swords being thrust into your stomach, arrows into your heart. Do you want fries with that? Oh, it's just so good. Can you That's imagine awesome. Game of Thrones characters working at yeah, like a regular food? job, right? Welcome to McDonald's. Winterfell is mine. Do, Do you, you love me? Reek. Reek. <laughs> so good yeah and uh i don't think i talked about uh, what i'm doing in dc this weekend yeah yeah tell tell the good folks uh in podcast land what you're doing yeah first uh trump impersonator gig where i'm uh, the client is actually putting me on a plane and flying me down to washington dc for saturday i'm going to be filming um a promo for deutsche Ville. i think that's how you pronounce it deutsche Ville. they're germany's largest international broadcaster and they have a weekly reach of 100 million people that's awesome and uh, me, and they actually hired a Hillary impersonator from, I think she's from New York City, or she might be from D.C. Do you know who she is, or I, have I, you seen any of her I stuff? I followed her on Twitter today. I haven't looked too deeply into her stuff, but, uh, you know, I'm sure she's great. Um, I'm going to be filming as Trump doing a bunch of responses, faces, gestures, a little back and forth with Hillary um, in front of a green screen down there in D.C. So That's awesome. Um, our younger sister, Laura, lives down there. Um, my best friend, Chris, uh, lives down there. So it's going to be nice. A uh, Trump gig, I'm going to get paid for it. They covered my airfare, so I feel this is a, it's a real boost for me. You know, it's Heading nice. into the convention. Head, yep, getting some wind behind my back into the convention. I just had another interview that I don't know if it's come out yet. Yeah, with, I don't uh, think it's out yet, but I was interviewed by Lee Munsell of The Blaze, which uh, is Glenn Beck's uh, publication, which has uh, millions of readers and uh, viewers and listeners, which was pretty cool. She just uh, in- emailed me out of the blue and wanted to know what the life of a Trump impersonator was like, you know, what my experiences have been, um, you know, do I like Trump, do I not like Trump, you know, where am I on him? So it w- we did a good interview, and um, she asked me some interesting questions, and we had a nice back and forth. I told her a little bit of the history about it in the story and, and kind of the gigs that I've been doing, so some more uh, media. So, you know, we're just keeping it going, man. Very good. Very good. Well, this has been nice to get back. Yeah. It feels right, Brian. It feels right. I feel right, Brian. And we'll be back at it soon enough, but we hope everyone enjoys the month of July. Absolutely. And we will talk to you soon. So check us out on Facebook at Jackman Radio, on Twitter at Jackman Radio, and our delicious podcast website, jackmanradio.podbean.com. Everybody have a wonderful and amazing night.
Blue.